You're listening to Narcotica, a podcast giving you the straight dope about drugs and the people who use them. Listeners, we have a very special episode. Not only is it being filmed, but in the same room for the first time ever, Troy and me. Yeah. High five. We can, that's the first time we've recorded in the same room a high five. So, yeah, I'm in LA. I'm, I'm in, get this, Beverly Hills, guys. Um, I got flown out here to to talk to Hollywood, and and Troy, where do you live from here? Like three hours away. I live near Joshua Tree in the high desert, like getting high there all the time. So like Joshua Tree is. Oh, it's about like, three hours. It's from it's Los it's like, it's like the hipster Hamptons of L.A. It's where like people go to like get out. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, you can definitely say that. Instead of like lake houses, it's like stucco cabins. Lots of uh, Joshua trees and desert. Um, what is a Joshua tree? It is a type of yucca plant. Um, What's a yucca plant? What do they look like? It's a succulent. Um, it look it up. It's it looks like a uh, Dr. Seuss tree. Um, I'm gonna look up. You know, you know the Lorax like. That's not the tree that's inspired. I, I used to think that. It's actually incorrect. I can't remember the tree that inspired the Lorax, but there are these big, bushy, weird, okay, psychedelic yeah, yeah, trees. Yeah. So they're like tall cactus. Yeah, I've got one in my backyard. And Are they prickly and thorny? Yeah, and they produce these really weird flowers. Um, since I know so much about insects, uh, there's this one moth that pollinates the flowers, um, and it doesn't doesn't drink the nectar. It just lays its eggs in the flower. And if this moth dies, then the Joshua trees will die. The Joshua trees are going to die anyway because of climate change. They're yeah, totally. sensitive to his, like, slight or will like in heat. will Joshua tree itself just expand and L.A. will just be one big Joshua tree desert? Uh, I hope not. Uh, there is an organization in the high desert called the Mojave Desert Land Trust, and they are just buying up parcels of land. I've been following them, and, like, in the last two weeks alone, they've, they've probably purchased a little less than 200 acres just these empty lots like to protect it yeah it's awesome and i love what they're doing um i want to volunteer with them but uh there was also this big development project um that got canceled in the area they're going to build like 250 more homes or something like that they were going to drain water from the aquifers in the mojave desert to pump the water down down the hill because it's in the mountains to palm springs and all these desert cities and uh, a judge blocked that. The Trump administration was trying to push that through. Uh, I forget the name of the project, but it's fucking evil. Uh, like sucking up the last bit of water in the desert so that you can build more suburbs in places that don't need suburbs. Do you know anything about the Salton Sea? Isn't it like oh, a yeah. man-made disaster? It's, the like, it's like an ecological like waste dump. It makes me actually really nervous to be living where I'm living. Because uh, I, I flew over the Salton Sea on my way in from Chicago, and I was just, like, looking at it. I was just like, that looks like fucking death down it, there. It is It is death. No, no, literally, I've been there once, um, and the beaches are uh, made of fish bones. Um, it's just, 
you you walking and you're like, what's this white sand? And it's all fish bones. No, these are fossils. Yeah. Uh, so it's the largest body of water in California. Um, it was it's a it's a man made. It right. was made in the '60s or something like that. Made made by white men white specifically, men. white man made. And it was supposed to be this uh, tourist paradise, and it was for a while, but. Um, it be, the salinity of the water is so high that nothing can really live in it. Uh, everything just started dying, and it smelled really bad. Um, there's okay. so much pesticide and fertilizer runoff. So Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia is literally trying to build, like, a Jurassic Park in the desert. It sounds a lot like the Salton Sea, actually. There's going to be, like, robot dinosaurs and, like, an oasis. Like, it's what they think, I think, white people want. In a, in a in an in an amusement park, where I think, so Saudi Arabia bans alcohol totally. It's a dry country, right. but I think they'll allow alcohol in their uh, desert Jurassic Park. Yeah, well, so the Salton Sea is slowly drying up, and all the fertilizer and pesticides that are in the water there are just like becoming this caked mud, and that is dry and. The wind comes and it blows it, and uh, it's been contributing to a lot of asthma problems in the area. Oh yeah, totally. And I, I live on the other side of National uh, Joshua Tree National Park, so I feel like maybe that just absorbs all the bad air or something. But it's just like, yeah, I live next to a giant toxic water waste dump, and and there's all these abandoned homes out there. Like, it's just it's post-apocalyptic. But but cannabis now in california is is legal but somehow in san bernardino which i just learned today is the biggest county in america is that yeah, it? Is yeah. That like, the like, only like thing by land the biggest county the only thing that's bigger is like unincorporated census bureaus in like alaska okay alaska doesn't count it's fucking huge yeah but the, the san bernardino is the largest county and super conservative i feel weird being out there sometimes but but, but they banned any dispensaries so like no cannabis dispensaries operate in san bernardino because yeah. the prop 64 the law that recreationalized marijuana in california uh allowed counties and cities to make their own little little laws uh, you know it was the way to get it freedom they have their free yeah the freedom to still keep things illegal it's the free market free and market at its finest the thing is is like it would bring so many jobs to the high desert if you allow dispensaries there because it's about a hundred thousand people that live in the area something like that um and so you have to drive like what a half hour to go to go to a dispensary yeah when i lived in 29 palms it was an hour so i would just get it delivered which was sort of illegal but no one could catch you and i can grow my own in my house but uh, that sounds like not, a lot of work i'm not the best gardener no yeah you don't have the green thumb I mean, so when I lived in Colorado, that sounds a lot like Colorado Springs, which is basically, okay, here's Colorado Springs. There is Colorado College, which is like your typical like liberal arts sort of oasis. But then the rest of Colorado Springs is like Hell's Angels and mega churches. And like, it's very strange. So I've never been there, but this is like what, uh, Colorado Springs did they they banned dispensaries there so anyone there just has to like yeah like drive over to the next town to like get to the nearest dispensary which probably sucks for all the Colorado college kids who you know definitely smoke weed might not have cars and you know they're 
I bet they're just there's just like a good black market there, like serving up the college kids. Yeah, I mean, when I was in college, that was a good way for a lot of college students to make money is selling weed. So I mean, keeping those people in business. So uh, on today's episode, we, uh, you know, we're just we're just getting acquainted with each other. We we've had good chemistry on the show through through Zoom, our video conference app, but now we're we're in person. Yeah. And so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a fun little show. We're going to uh, read a uh, really really good USA Today story. Surprisingly, very no, it sucks. It totally sucks. The twenty five most dangerous drugs. So we're gonna read that story, which was published today for you listeners and and yeah. Uh, so we kind of want to explore this concept that uh, you know people human beings love ranking things and ranking the most dangerous drug. Like what is, why do we want to do that? And what actually is the most dangerous drug? I mean, like, like obviously sarin gas is like the most dangerous drug, right? Like that, that should be probably at the top of this list, but this list is so convoluted and, and we'll get to that. But like, yeah, when, when we think about the most dangerous drugs, like a, like drugs are chemicals and chemicals are everywhere. Like, Got this coffee right here. I mean, obviously, not not super dangerous. It makes me, I don't know, gives me anxiety sometimes. But like, everything is a chemical. Everything is a drug. But that's that's for starters why these lists sort of always fail. Um, and this one, uh, yeah, does not deliver the goods, folks. Yeah, I don't know who said it first, but uh, the poison is a matter of a dose something like that the poison is a matter of the dose i should just look who up who said that i have the power of the internet well one thing before we get into this article so a really interesting researcher uh this guy's in the uk his name is david nutt professor david nutt and he was actually like the equivalent of the uh like like the drug czar he was like a very powerful sort of uh, like drug policy guy at, at one point in the UK and he got driven out of office so fast for just like saying sciencey things about drugs like actually basing his positions and his policy positions in the research and like so one thing he said was uh, it was about horseback riding he basically said there is not much difference between horse riding and ecstasy, meaning like danger wise, like people who ride horses, they fall off the horse, they get paralyzed, like just saying that humans do activities, everyday activities that aren't illegal, and they die or they get injured and that drugs are should be measured on that same level of harm. So he measures like the, the, the societal impact of drugs. Uh, on like not just the user, but also the the community in which the user is using. And so that obviously gives a much uh, better context to the harms of drugs. And so after this guy said that like ecstasy is probably no less dangerous than horseback riding, yeah, he got like impeached or whatever the equivalent of, of impeached. Uh, what do they call it in the UK? Um, canned? Yeah, he got he got sacked. He got sacked. He got sacked so fast. <laughs> so so okay, we're we're going to start reading this article, and and then we'll we'll 
we'll, we'll get to its ranking in a, in a minute. So this article is by Michael B. Souter, and it's under the 24-7 Wall Street vertical. So it's like a, like a business or like a finance guy uh, writing about drugs. So this should be interesting. It begins, the opioid epidemic is an ever-growing struggle. Nearly 70,000 Americans died from a drug overdose last year, according to data released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Well, I mean, he got that right. The one thing he didn't do, which so many people do, is conflate that 70,000 number. They, they think that 70,000 number is all opioids. Right. When really it's like drug, like all overdoses, which involve like a whole galaxy of drugs. And a, and a lot of those, I don't know the exact numbers, but a lot of those overdoses are polydrug use. So it's not just, the media is responsible for this. They really reframe this whole crisis as it's just opioids. People are just like take, it's as if they're only taking fentanyl in a pill and then overdosing when it's like they're taking a cocktail of heroin and it has something mixed in it, or they have been drinking and doing other drugs. Um, yeah, and so like he, he goes on to say exactly what you're saying. Drug overdoses are now the leading cause of accidental death in the United States. More Americans die of drug overdoses than in car accidents, which are also frequently the result of substance abuse, questionable. Nearly half the fatal car accidents involve alcohol or other substances. So yeah, we need to get rid of this term substance abuse. Like, okay, there are child abusers, there are spousal abusers, like those are people like committing acts of violence onto people. And when you get into the whole substance abuse and drug abuser realm, you're really just calling these people fucked up criminals. So like, I, I hate when they do that. Yeah, what's a better term? Cause I think people, I mean, it's, it's so much about movies and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, like, obviously, like the, like the way that the CDC and the academics, they say misuse, which is, you know, fine. I just think you can call it by the result of substance use. Like, yeah. like the thing happened because you used substances, not because you abused them, you just used them. Right, you're projecting. If you, if yeah. you say someone's abusing, you're, you're projecting what that person was using that drug and for what purpose. And you don't know. Like, you know, maybe Kurt Cobain's a good example of this. He used heroin because he had stomach ulcers and it helped with the pain. Was he abusing the drug or was he using it to medicate himself? I mean. Right. And like, I think it's it's like a controversial thing to say that all drug use is self-medication. And, you know, I happen to think like based on my own experience, like a lot of drug use could be self-medication. But like that's one context. Like it doesn't all fall under the rubric of like coping with psychological pain. It, 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 like there's so many different contexts in which drugs are used. And the second we just label it substance abuse, like it gets placed into this criminalized context. And like, we don't need a valence to it. Just call it drug use. Like it's, it's even shorter. Like editors love, you know, clarity and being concise. Right. Just call it drug use. The other thing is, is that we have this weird attitude that drug use is somehow this weird behavior when it's probably one of the most normal human behaviors that there is. And it has helped with our evolution. Being able to, to, to you know, 
recognize that you take a plant and it has an effect uh, and it, you, uh, harnessing that power is what helped us survive as a society uh, evolve from little societies into big civilizations like drug use is the most normal thing uh, being sober is what's weird and we celebrate that it was on reddit yesterday like elton john just celebrated 29 years of sobriety and it's like well good for him but that and, doesn't and, mean anything. And do you know what Elton John does with his spare time? He spends like $60,000 every time he walks into Gucci. Like, instead of like spending that on cocaine, he buys like sunglasses. Right. Cool, man. Like, good for you. Glad that you're not dead. Glad you're making music. And, you know, I don't think it's even like his people who are like cranking out press releases about his sobriety. I think it's very much like a media driven thing where like People Magazine or whatever tabloids are sort of in the aisle and in the checkout lane, like those are the, that's the type of media that's always like Rob Lowe, 14 years sober, Elton John, 24 years sober. And it's just like, yeah. I and mean, same with Robert Downey Jr. Like, like I, we're in Hollywood right now, Beverly Hills, like so many actors are known based on how many years they've been sober. Which is good for them. I mean, like it's. I'm not going to say it's easy to do that. It would be pretty difficult for me. No, you need Scientology for that shit. Like <laughs> you need some serious, like load bearing belief to 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 not do any substances for 25 years. Like that's that's intense as fuck. Okay, back to the uh, episode. Sorry, there was a a vacuum going on outside the room. We are in a, an undisclosed. <laughs> Hollywood Hotel. Uh, we cannot give you our location. It's top secret. We don't want them to sue us. Yeah. You were recording a podcast on drugs? No, no, it was a podcast about drugs. Well, that, and also we loaded in, like, cameras and audio. Like, I think they think we're filming porn in here. So, well, just, just keep, a low, keep a low profile here. So, back to this article. Yeah, ranking the most dangerous drugs. Yeah, the 25 most dangerous drugs okay it goes on the vast majority of people who drink alcohol in the united states more than half of americans do so responsibly millions of people also use pain medication every day and do not stray from their prescribed dosage yeah i mean i think that's good obviously like i think we've talked about this a lot on the show how in in, all, in a lot of the coverage of 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 the overdose crisis, like opioids are, are, are like heavily demonized and, you know, like, like Troy, like you're talking to a ton of, of patients about, you know, how they're being forcibly tapered and how uh, patients who, who like do, who have a better quality of life on opioids, like basically in the name of battling the opioid crisis are like losing their medications. Yeah, that's what, I, I mean, it just prickles me or gets my defenses up whenever someone frames drugs as dangerous because that's kind of irrelevant. I know that sounds weird, but like there's this book that I read a, a long time ago and it was like just comparing statistics of things like uh, teddy bears are more dangerous than actual bears. More people die every year from teddy bears. Uh, it, you know, it's weird, but or braziers or bathtubs or whatever. And I like that this article is kind of talking about how uh, drugs can be used responsibly, but 
I mean, everything can be used responsibly or irresponsibly. I, I spoke to Steve Rolls earlier this year. Uh, he's the senior policy analyst at the Transform Drug Policy Foundation, this think tank in the UK. And he talks about how there's all these different types of risky behaviors that we regulate. Like, if you want to jump out of an airplane, fine. We're going to make sure that you have to use a parachute. The parachute companies are regulated, whatever, and you do it safely. It doesn't stop people from dying from parachuting. But for drugs, for some reason, uh, we have this completely backwards view of them. It's like, oh, we should isolate them from society. We should make them harder to get, which doesn't actually make them harder to get. It just makes them uh, more dangerous. It incentivizes what's called the iron law prohibition, uh, incentivizes smaller, more potent forms of drugs, which is why we have this fentanyl crisis right now. Right, like it's easier to, to move, uh, a, you get more bang for your buck moving a barrel of moonshine or bathtub gin than like a barrel of beer, because like the potency of the gin is far more uh, intense than, than alcohol. And that's yeah. exactly what's happening with, with opioids and, and fentanyl right now. And some people like Ermin Lopez will say, hey, prohibition worked, you know, but they'll kind of forget that like, it, it did have a lot of more serious effects. Like, um, what is the byproduct when you don't brew alcohol correctly? Methanol? Oh, yeah. Like, people got poisoned. Yeah. And, yeah. and the United States government actually poisoned alcohol supplies. They, As, like, a deterrent to get people to stop using it. And it killed something like 10,000 people. There's, there's a really good book about, like, it's called, like, the, like the Toxins Guide to Poison, or I forget what it is, but... Yeah, uh, the author makes that that very point, and 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 yeah, like there are people out there making like the that argument, and um, yeah. So saying prohibition worked is like yeah, like define worked. Is this really a better alternative than yeah? Like uh, it, it it's mind numbing to to hear that stuff, and it's like it. I I often think that like the like the like we're by prohibiting something like alcohol. And then pointing at a reduction in like domestic violence, it's like like I I get that association and I get that alcohol is a factor in a lot of in a lot of toxic relationships. But I think that like just taking away the alcohol, it it doesn't fix underlying issues. That like why does U.S. culture create men who uh act out violence on women like that's a much more fundamental thing to tackle than just like you know tinkering around the edge taking away the alcohol it's like let's talk about the structures in society that lead to this violence rather than just like oh let's let's pluck out uh alcohol and 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 point to a reduction in violence like i think it's just like a totally it's like a very like think tanky, boxy way of uh, looking at society. Yeah. Uh, people are always quick to remind you uh, that prohibition was kind of pushed by uh, people in the women's suffrage movement, um, but they kind of overlooked the fact that women also helped dismantle prohibition. Yeah. And look, I like we could we could go on and on about how prohibition is is a stupid ass thing and Thankfully, it's overturned, and we collectively changed our minds about that. And 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 so, like what what we're about to list off in this article 
a lot of the drugs on it in the 25 most dangerous drugs a lot of these aren't actually illegal or sort of the like illicit scary boogeyman drugs so num- number one i just got it uh they're listed alphabetically <laughs> okay so we we were wondering why the hell yeah, we were wondering what metrics they were. What what, yeah. what is your quote unquote? What's most dangerous? And like, why is acetaminophen first followed by alcohol right. and then an anti anxiety medication? This is why this is the most convoluted <laughs> list I had ever seen because it's alphabetical, which is like, what kind of? That's not even a ranking. <laughs> that's alphabet. We are alphabetizing dangerous drugs for you. How much does this guy get paid to put drugs in alphabetical order? Holy shit. So number one, acetaminophen. <laughs> Folks, acetaminophen, yeah, like it can for sure have uh, harms to your liver and you shouldn't take a lot of it. And it's listed number one. And so we were both scratching our heads over here. Like, why the fuck is that the first dangerous drug or the least dangerous? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So we just had an epiphany. Uh, it's alphabetized. <laughs> Yeah, acetaminophen, also known as Tylenol, uh, when taken excess, according to this, uh, or combined with alcohol and other pain meds, um, can cause long-term liver damage, liver toxicity, death. Um, that acetaminophen is interesting because it's like added to so many opioids as like a deterrent. Yeah. Some some people say they add it so that it makes the opioids more pain relieving but i don't think that's true it's it's a yeah i think that's bullshit it's so that you don't take too many of them it's so if you take 10 hydrocodone that has 500 milligrams of acetaminophen in every pill you're fucking up your liver yeah which is like great so on top of whatever condition this person got prescribed opioids to now they have liver damage like thank you drug companies you're great and it also makes them extra money i'm sure adding an extra ingredient in there Right. It's called innovation, Troy. That's <laughs> innovation. That's innovative. Okay, so now that we realize this list is even dumber than we thought it was, let's move on to number two. Alcohol. Common names, <laughs> beer, wine, liquor. Okay, wow. Uh, so as we were just saying um, a moment ago, like alcohol, it's legal and it's far more dangerous than things like opioids societally like if we take in all the the whole galaxy of harms related to a drug in this case like uh drunk driving and domestic violence and just violence in general and even things like suicide and 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 all these other totally horrific everyday horrors of being alive in america right now alcohol is a factor in like all of them so like 88,000 deaths roughly a year are directly linked to alcohol, which is probably an undercount. I'm sure there's far more deaths every year that that alcohol plays a factor. In. And that 88,000 number, it it's been going it's been sort of steady for the last 15 years or so. Um, you know, that's people are like, "Oh, the opioid overdose crisis or the drug overdose crisis um, killed more people." Then Americans died in Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan combined. Well, yeah. that's dwarfed by the amount of alcohol-related deaths every year. Yeah, There's about totally. 200 diseases that are linked to alcohol and at least seven types of cancer. Uh, if you're a woman 
or you just have breasts uh, and you want to reduce the risk of breast cancer, uh, the best way to do that is to stop drinking. That's just a fact. And then I, but on this other hand, I just want to be clear on this. Like I'm not against alcohol. I drink fairly regularly. I enjoy it. And I wouldn't want to tell somebody that they can't enjoy that. You just have to, you know, understand the risks. Uh, and alcohol is this drug that's really primitive. I've heard multiple times from researchers, policymakers, and, and serious people um, that if alcohol were discovered yesterday, like um, not, it would not be made legal. Like there's no way we would allow a drug like alcohol to be regulated the way that it's regulated now. I think like I'm I'm okay with something as dangerous as alcohol being out there. I'm okay with people using it. I personally don't like it that much. It just doesn't make me feel good. So like, but that I, I don't like, A, I'm not a legislator, but I don't legislate thing based on like my personal preferences for hundreds of millions of other people. Like that's like the crazy radical shit that Republicans do. Like that's not a good way to approach any problem just based on how you feel about it. But with alcohol, I mean, I do think that we need to tax it more, which will just make it less used. And then also basically the marketing and in all the ways that alcohol companies like subtly like advertising works, like billions of dollars would not be spent on advertising if it didn't work. And I think like if we, tax alcohol better if we have um a less like less advertising i think a lot a lot of lives would probably be saved just on those two things alone let's move on to the next one i guess uh okay so since we're going in alphabetical order here uh anti-anxiety medication uh parentheses benzodiazepines yeah so xanax valium clonopin um, I would add itizolam on there. It's not a benzodiazepine, but uh, it is a, it is used for the same purpose. Sort of a similar drug. Well, the, the, the benzo market is actually going through interesting transformations too. Just like how synthetic opioids, like all these weird fentanyl analogs are out there. There's a bunch of new synthetic benzos that people seem to like and are taking and are seem to be pretty dangerous. Like, I don't know much about them, but there's a whole burgeoning synthetic benzo market out there now. Yeah, which, you know, <laughs> they want it, to... It's amazing to me that atizolam is still legal. Um, it probably won't be for much longer, um, but... Is it like an unregulated... It's like not scheduled? Yeah, it. you can... Order it online? You can order it online. You have to address the demand. Like, if why are all these synthetics coming on the market? Why are all these analogs coming on the market? And well, people, people need feel like they need them. They they appreciate the relief that they give. Um, there is, I think that the most deadly thing about benzos, other than mixing it with other drugs, is probably becoming dependent on them and the withdrawals. I know I've heard a lot of horror stories about how devastating it can be when you're addicted to it. Yeah, the benzo withdrawal. I think like the only two drugs that can be deadly from withdrawing from are alcohol and benzos because they both they're both uh, GABA. They, they both act on GABA receptors and they reduce seizures and so like the withdrawal is the has the inverse effect of any kind of drug. 
So basically it causes seizures and that's why it's like super, super dangerous to just like go cold turkey stopping benzos. I think there's also a risk of suicide uh, when tick coming off of benzos um, just because it's so miserable that a lot of people end their lives because of it. Yeah, I mean, benzos, like, they're widely prescribed, and I've been prescribed them for my own anxiety before, and, and I think that there's, a, again, we, we don't address, like, why so many people feel like they need a, a benzo to, to relief to relieve their anxieties and and we should be like thinking into we, we should be thinking about demand through a, a, a through a, a structural lens like why does society create the demand for something like an opioid or for something like a benzo or for alcohol and and so these lists like don't don't address any of that so like their measurement of harm which again is alphabetized uh, is you know, really, really lacking for context here. And so the, the next several drugs are, uh, I don't think we'll talk much about them, anticoagulants. Um, so these are like, uh, they help blood clotting, right? For like hemophiliacs or something. Um, okay, antidepressants. Yeah, antidepressants, I think we should talk about a little bit, uh, just because they're often the first line of treatment if you're experiencing depression or mental health issues. I was 17. I wanted to kill myself. I had a plan. I was going to go down to the train tracks in Phoenix and just stick my head on the fucking train tracks. Um, and I didn't do that, but I told my doctor that I felt like that. And, well, here, here has this fucking pill. And so uh, the first thing I did was the next time I was having a really bad depressive episode, I took some of these, which is not how you're supposed to take antidepressants. You're supposed to just sort of start taking them and they will maybe work for you in about two weeks. They need to build up in your system. Right. And I ended up having a panic attack and was like, again, planning to kill myself by taking a suitcase, filling it up with rocks, wrapping it around my neck and jumping into my swimming pool. I was pretty creative as a 17 year old. I, I thankfully didn't do that. My parents were able to talk me out of it, but it's like, I'm freaking out. And uh, they took the pills away from me. And this is, my, my dad threatened to sue the doctor, uh, which he never did. But I, I don't even remember what the drug was. It was so long ago, something with an L maybe. Um, and it, it, he refused to let me take them again. But this is like, I go to the doctor because I'm depressed I talked talk to him for 10 minutes and he immediately just pushes this medication on me without really asking about my medical history or genetics or... Or like doing any therapy, like what yeah. what in your life as a 17-year-old could be causing this? Like, like, so adolescence is when mental health really tends to emerge and so same with addiction and, and, the, and, and so like a lot of these things happen to teenagers and just like throwing uh serotonin reuptake inhibitors onto young people like yeah it is the the quick easy fix and of course like the a lot of the the research the randomized clinical trials you know these are all pharma funded of course and and there's a lot of reason to to be suspicious of of their efficacy but like that said antidepressants absolutely do help a certain group of 
patients who have depression like there's like a like i think a 30 percent of people roughly like like a minority of people who have depression they really really benefit from antidepressants when the majority don't yeah so definitely not saying that antidepressants are bad and they're just a tool that you know they're kind of blunt it seems like our understanding of how depression works like oh just pump more of this chemical into your brain serotonin that'll make you less depressed like it, it really super glosses reductive. over it's super reductive totally glosses over how complex the human brain is or the causes of depression on many levels uh, so you need to be careful with them um, I think the most dangerous thing about SSRIs is uh, you know mixing taking other drugs I feel really bad about this but I had a friend who was on SSRIs and he took mushrooms and I didn't tell him not to because I didn't know better but then he had a really bad trip because if you're on SSRIs and you take psychedelics, like the combination can cause some serious mental health problems. Um, yeah, I had a friend who was on SSRIs and then took MDMA and like it was weird for him because like it wasn't really working because like MDMA like sort of floods your receptor with, with serotonin and if there's like you know, an inhibitor going on and you're not going to get the release and you're not going to get like the, the effect of MDMA. So it was like, you know, here we are, you know, a bunch of teenagers, like just not knowing how any of this stuff works. And wouldn't it have been nice if in school, if we were in our health classes that, you know, the, the teachers know that we're, you know, experimenting with MDMA and a lot of us are on psych meds, but of course, like, it's just, this is your brain on drugs and don't do drugs. And let's pretend like no one in this room is doing drugs. Right. And the serotonin system is just so complicated and we don't know a lot about it. Uh, there are more serotonin receptors in your gut than there are in your brain. And to just, we just kind of like throw these blunt tools at the problem sometimes. And then a lot of people, it does really help them and, and good for those people. I don't want to see them lose access. I don't want to stigmatize towards them in any capacity but uh yeah i think they're 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 pushed on to just about every problem even grief now like yeah like so for a while in the dsm grief was an exclusion for depressive symptoms so like if you're experiencing like a lack of interest in activities if you're not eating right you're not sleeping right and you're listing off all these symptoms of depression none of that counted to a depression score if you were grieving but somehow the grief exclude the grief exemption was, was taken out of the dsm so now even if you're grieving and you have experience uh any symptoms of depression that is now pathologized and you can get on antidepressants for like the most human the most universally human phenomenon of losing a loved one literally happens to every single person you can now be prescribed antidepressants for that, which just sounds fucked up. So next on the list, we have antihypertensive drugs, which we're going to skip because, I mean, yeah. uh, risks of high blood pressure. Uh, the next one is bromocriptine, uh, which is uh, used for tumors and Parkinson's disease and type 2 diabetes. What a... It sounds dangerous. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and then uh, clarithromycin. Uh, it's an antibiotic, which can have fatal heart complications. Number nine, clozapine. Uh, I guess it's commonly used for schizophrenia. 
Okay, here's one we all know. Number 10, cocaine. Mm. Mm. We're in Hollywood. I wish I wish we had a... It's just down the street. Yeah. It was here with the room service, just little lines spread out for us. So, yeah, I mean, I don't... Cocaine is, is weird. Like, I've definitely, full disclosure, I've done a lot of it and tend not to like... It's like one of those things that I do it and every time I, I after I do it, I'm like, why did I do that? I'm exactly the same way, <laughs> yeah. I've done cocaine maybe 50 times. I lost count, but I've only paid for it once. And maybe that makes me a mooch or an asshole, but my basic policy is like, I'll do cocaine, I just won't pay for it. And the only reason I paid for it that one time I was drunk, so... Uh, but, you know, there. Are, I think cocaine is a drug that is, first it's glamorized, and then you're told how dangerous it is. And it's kind of hypocritical, in my opinion. Um, I don't, I think the dangers of cocaine are overblown in a lot of ways. I mean, there's obviously risks to it. And it's a caveat for every drug on this list is like, we're not telling you to take huge amounts of these drugs and you'll be fine. But I think cocaine, really on the list of some of these drugs, is much more safe, uh, much safer than alcohol for sure. Yeah, and just so we don't get sued, this is not medical advice. We are not doctors. Just putting that out there. I play a doctor on TV. Okay, so number 11, not even going to try to pronounce that. Uh, It's for gout. Cough medicine, number 12, NyQuil, Robitussin, Theraflu. Um, I mean... This is so unspecific. I mean, are you talking about DXM or just like the mixture? I mean, because we were talking earlier about acetaminophen and a lot of these... uh, Right, acetaminophen is a cough suppressant, right? So are opioids. I believe so. But they they just, they mix all kinds of stuff in these cough medicines together. And I always, when I get sick and I go buy something over the counter, I always look for the one that's just the pure drug. And then I'll get another thing of acetaminophen on the side so I can put them together if I want to. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's much safer. Um, DXM is interesting. Um, it is a uh, psychedelic. Uh, it's kind of a dissociative sort of like um, like ketamine. And there's been some research uh, that it is pretty effective for depression, uh, which is interesting. Mm. Um, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I do wonder if, you know, for like a very acute, sort of intense depression if if more and more people are, are trying ketamine now instead of going to um ssris or if like you know ketamine because like i, I the, the thing that i hear about ketamine for depression is that like it it works very quickly and it but it's a very sort of short-term fix so that's like the that's the rub on that i guess yeah. And it's expensive. It is expensive. It can be about 500 to $700 per infusion. And most places where you get ketamine infusions uh, will say, hey, you should come in for like six or seven of these. So that ends up to be like three to four grand, which for me is a lot of money. For a lot of people, that's out of reach. Right. Um, and no health insurance is covering that, right? But the results for ketamine infused depression have been pretty impressive. It's somewhere between. 70 and 80 percent success rates which they measure success by how long you have a reduction in depression symptoms and it can happen uh within 24 hours some usually 72 really fast act really which like we just talked about ssris they can take several weeks to kick in ketamine is quick if you're suicidal uh 
ketamine can maybe really help you like right there in the moment. Whereas if you're suicidal and you take an SSRI, you got a couple of weeks for this thing to start working. That's, that's a pretty dangerous window. But like you said, ketamine is, it's not like a, it doesn't just like wipe away the depression forever. It, it may return in six months or so, maybe three months, maybe a week. It, it, for some people, it may not work at all. Like 70, 80% is a really good success rate. If those numbers are accurate, um, you know, this is from clinical trials and from from uh, some of these ketamine clinics, from research that I've done on them. Um, 70, 80% is a great success rate, but that still leaves, you know, a good chunk of the population that doesn't work on. Yeah, right. And so moving on, um, again, so this list, again, it's alphabetized, like, it, it, so it's not even a, a drug ranking. Like, they're just listing dangerous drugs. And so 14 is heroin and semi-synthetic opioids. Uh, it's weird that they're not listing fully synthetic opioids like fentanyl here. I mean, um, like we obviously talk a lot about opioids on this show. And um, as we were saying at the top of this episode, like there are plenty of legitimate uses for opioids that are used all the time. Of course, it's very, very dangerous when you begin to mix opioids with other depressants like like alcohol and benzos like 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 opioids on their own without a tolerance can be very deadly but opioids mixed with other depressants or even stimulants can can also yeah obviously it's causing so many deaths across the country. it's interesting this list it, it kind of conflates a lot of things it's got percocet vicodin and oxycontin in here with heroin you know and and i think Percocet has a brand name. It's just, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's oxycodone and acetaminophen again, right? Yeah, so Percocet is oxycodone with acetaminophen. Vicodin is hydrocodone with acetaminophen. And oxycontin is just oxycodone without acetaminophen. So, so the point I'm trying to make here is these are combination drugs that they're using the name brand of. It's not, it's, it's interesting because... Um, that does make the risk different if they have these other things that are added in there that can cause liver damage. Yeah. So 15 is MDMA. Um, so like when I think of the dangers of MDMA, like I tend not to think of the, the drug itself as super dangerous. I tend to think of the dangers being environmental and contextual. So like if you're at a festival and you need a, to pay $5 for water and they're just surrounded by sweaty bodies and there's no cool off space and you need to pay for water. Like these are the conditions that make MDMA dangerous. And, and I think a lot of people um, who wind up dying and the toxicology like traces it to MDMA, I think in almost a lot, in a, in a lot of them, it's, it's always like heat stroke or overheat or exhaustion or dehydration. Like there's some, something else going on that I don't think is totally, uh, overdetermined by the MDMA. Yeah. The thing about this is it, it lists the name ecstasy. Uh, you know, ecstasy from my understanding is usually a pressed pill, whereas the slang term Molly is more along the terms of pure or as pure as it can get MDMA. Ecstasy sometimes contains all kinds of things. Uh, yeah. So The press pills are who knows what. So mixing MDMA with other drugs can be dangerous because 
uh, MDMA is an upper, if it's got heroin in it or something like that, or a benzo or something, it's something that's pushing your body's central nervous system in the opposite direction, you kind of get this uh, stress and that can cause damage to the body. Yeah, and like the media narrative around MDMA growing up was that it could put holes in your brain. Thanks, Oprah, yeah. for, for spreading that urban legend. Right, like Oprah and Dare and like, it, it, it was it was lore. It was just like everyone who was young in the 90s and the early 2000s had heard that, you know, MDMA causes cavities in your brain, like, or, you know, they would like throw up these like nonsensical neuroimaging scans that are just like phrenology like it's it's sophistry like this is like junk science like like it's totally outlandish uh and and this is the kind of your brain on drugs rhetoric that you know just really really does nothing to inform the public about what the drug is and its actual objective risks and harm and and luckily this list does not say that holes in your brain is a, is a risk. Yeah, that, that myth about holes in your brain has come back with uh, uh, smoking heroin. Oh, what, like off tinfoil? Yeah, and there is some evidence that smoking heroin can cause brain damage. Uh, it's encephalopathy, something like that. Um, but it's in long-term heavy use. It's very rare. If you, if you're, I don't know if there's really any drugs that, can cause holes in your brain <laughs> reliably. Uh, oh, actually, there are. Um, I forget what it's called, but it, they use it to give lesions in mice and rats so they can study brain damage, which is really cruel, but this is really beside the point. Um, it's like a drug designed to put holes in your brain. <laughs> exactly. So if, if any drug can put holes in your brain and it's not designed to do that, then you know it's going to take a lot of repeated use and there are so many other confounding factors in there we need a lot more research on that before we can say that smoking heroin causes brain damage like that so next on the list methamphetamine which is interesting like i think mdma like like the base chemical for mdma is basically methamphetamine like they're very similar um like structurally but also like meth i think just it's just pure, it's like the, the pure speed, whereas MDMA has some other effects that aren't just stimulant related. So methamphetamine is amphetamine that is methylated, which makes it um, easier to pass the blood-brain barrier. Uh, so it is... It, uh, it's just like faster acting. And longer lasting, yes. Um, the, it's interesting, it, it lists teeth loss as one of the risks brain of brain. using meth. Uh, Losing your teeth on meth is actually an urban legend. Um, it, it can cause um, you to salivate less, and that makes your mouth really dry. Um, there is evidence or some research that people who use stimulants also get cravings for sugar a lot. And so if you have this dry mouth and you're eating a bunch of sugar, that causes tooth decay. It's not the meth itself. And there are plenty of people that use meth responsibly, uh, prescription meth. I know this sounds surprising to some people that don't know about desoxin, but you can go to your doctor. Uh, <laughs> well, it's not that easy, but some doctors will prescribe methamphetamine, pure methamphetamine, hydrochloride, and they use it on a regular basis, whether it's for narcolepsy, extreme ADHD, obesity, all kinds of things. Um, 
and they and they don't get teeth loss. They don't they don't their teeth aren't falling out of their head. They don't have the meth mouth. Um, you couldn't even tell that they're on meth if you didn't know. Yeah, and, and like this is a callback to I think like the second episode of Narcotica. I I talked to someone who um, is a recreational meth user, and he was saying how he makes sure that he drinks water and that he eats regularly and and these are basically you know like harm reduction is so opioid centric but there are very simple harm reduction tips that that are related to methamphetamine use and they do reduce like the so-called tooth decay stuff like if you're being safe and you know what you're doing um, you can avoid a lot of these uh, symptoms yeah it's um, one thing we really want to uh, emphasize here is that a lot of the risks of drug use just comes from not knowing how to use it responsibly. If these drugs are illicit, there's not a lot of education about them. You're getting you're getting education from the street. So if you don't know or how Oprah. to use or Oprah, <laughs> if you're using some of these drugs, then you may not know how to use them responsibly. Um, and that reduces the risks a lot. This is why we have this podcast is so that we can talk about. Uh, what the actual risks of some of these things are, that people can use them responsibly and, and not hurt themselves. And, and that's a scary idea to some people, uh, harm reduction, that, oh, if you, if you teach people how to use drugs in a way that they don't get hurt, then you're going to have people using drugs. And it's... Yeah, you're enabling them, you're encouraging them, and this kind of uh, rhetoric and this like deep, deep ideological sort of, uh, like linchpin in American drug culture is is exactly the kind of thing that we want to push back against in this show. And so we are going to build the Narcotica school curriculum, and we'll be in every classroom uh, at the end of the, at the end of this year. Just watch. Yeah. So, what if we took away every single risks? that's associated with these drugs. And, and let's say that using meth or using heroin was literally as safe as drinking water. People would still have a problem with that. They would have a problem with this unearned pleasure, this ability to feel euphoria without earning it. You didn't go for a jog. You didn't get an A on your test or whatever. You didn't work 40 hours a week. You just took a pill and suddenly you feel nice. And so many people are uncomfortable with that idea. And I think that stems from this Protestant uh, culture that is endemic in America, um, that you know you have to work to, be, to, to earn food and to, to earn a place in society. Your value is basically associated with how much capitalism you can generate. Right, unless you're like producing capital for you know, billionaires who give you pennies in return, you are, you're undeserving. And, and so like this, this stuff, it like, it, it goes all the way up to like places like the, like, like SAMHSA, like the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. This is like a government body, obviously with substance abuse in its name. And, and so I was on a Facebook thread and all these public health um, researchers and these harm reductionists were saying that like that someone at SAMHSA giving some webinar or some presentation 
was saying that like we can't use harm reduction on teenagers like the only approach to talking about teenagers with drugs is is the abstinence uh this is your brain on style sort of bullshit advertising that that literally teaches no one anything and and sows a lot of distrust because when a, a young kid actually does try cannabis for the first time or does try cocaine for the first time and they don't instantly die like their response is like oh well they were all lying to me yeah and like that's just a terrible um sort of way to to teach anything to anybody you can't just you can't do that and teenagers are not dumb like just acknowledge the fact that they will try drugs and experiment and that some percentage of them may go on to have a problem like like that's just the facts of life and obviously our policy should be calibrated to to prevent that from happening as best we can but we have to acknowledge reality and work backwards re-engineering where the harms are and build strategies to to mitigate and reduce them. And like, that's what harm reduction is. And that's what this show like really, really is about. It's that simple. It's, it's a no nonsense approach. There's so much research showing that harm reduction really does help people. And you can't regulate behavior, human behavior very well. Like anything you try to make illegal, people are gonna do. You can't just pretend that there's some magic way of convincing people not to do something. They will find a way you can only incentivize them to do something else. Right. And like like in like in sex work, there's a lot of a lot of harm reductionists who, who work in drug policy also do like and I see this at the, the harm reduction conferences that I go to, there is always multiple groups representing sex workers there because they need condoms. They need help uh, reducing the harms of their labor and, and so this stuff doesn't just apply to uh, injection drug users who obviously get a lot of the attention. It applies to all of us. And if everyone's working through a harm reduction lens, that makes not only them, but those around them and their loved ones and their communities safer. And like, you know, the DEA is out there uh, cracking down on on drug dealing and all these things like like they say they do that in the name of public safety and public health but like that's just taken as a given like that that that, that the things they do are promoting public health and public safety and no one questions it and they have no evidence that the work that they do does that meanwhile there's stacks of evidence and decades of research showing that harm reduction does exactly that okay we're only at 17. 17 is methotrexate, which is a cancer psoriasis rheumatoid arthritis drug. Not really going to go into that one. 18 is NSAIDs, or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, commonly known as Advil, aspirin, ibuprofen. Um, these kinds of drugs can really destroy your liver. Your liver does not like NSAIDs. Um, Again, they're often used in conjunction with opioids or in lieu of opioids. So like opioids don't fuck up your liver the way NSAIDs do. Yeah, uh, especially if, you can, if, you're, if you're drinking regularly and you're taking NSAIDs, you, if, you're, if you're just giving too much of this crap to your liver, it's gonna overload it. But it, it's not like we should make aspirin illegal. Aspirin's uh, a pretty amazing drug. I'm glad we have it around. <laughs> uh, Helps me out in a pinch. 
So 19 is, is weird. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors wasn't like antidepressants like in the A section. Did yeah. they just like double up? He just doubled up. Okay. Uh, he picked up. some different ones, I think. I don't know. I'm not going to check. Uh, number 20. Uh, stupid ass list. Stupid ass list. Number 20 is... Sildafinil? Yeah, also known as Viagra. Yeah, folks. This stuff, uh, yeah, gives you boners. And that can be dangerous, I guess. In all the commercials, though, there's the every Viagra commercial has the same, same line. If your erection lasts for up to four hours or more, seek medical help immediately. Yeah. Like, I wonder what's happening there if you take Viagra and your boner just doesn't go away. Like, I, I don't know, like, biologically, neurobiologically, chemically, what's going on there, but that sounds like a problem. Yeah. I think it can also create some... Uh, just working too good. It can create some related heart risks, I think, because it does affect your blood pressure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure it's, like, serious, and, like, the FDA probably makes them say that, so I don't, I don't want to, like, I don't... make fun of that. It's probably a serious thing. Yeah. It's... It is... It is absurd, but... I think Viagra is actually, like... It just does what it does. It's, like old man needs to get a hard on takes the pill gets a hard on and like that's it like i don't i don't see uh like there's there's nothing like psychoactive going on like like it's like you're in the mood already but the uh you know something's going on where the blood isn't flowing to where it's supposed to so this pill just helps and yeah so obviously like someone was going to invent a, a boner pill like men dominate the pharmaceutical industry and the research so obviously something like that was gonna eventually get discovered number 21 is spironolactone uh which is also high blood pressure risks are hyper kalemia i'm not sure what that is but it's dangerous folks i mean the fact about this list is like what are people supposed to do with this information (sighs) now i know that this drug can cause harms right i mean like this list of 25 25 of like the most dangerous drugs it's literally published today in the year of our lord 2019 like got it like this is just like did this guy just like go on webmd and like like is he aggregating webmd right now he did seem to interview someone for this story uh like at the top or at the bottom i think after the okay well well, if you're if you're still with us Thank you. We're, we're almost there, folks. We're trying to figure out what's the most dangerous drug. What's 22? Oh. Statins. Uh, Lipitor. Lescol. Crestor. The names for prescription drugs, like, I, there's a... Oh, there's totally, like, a typology to yeah. how drugs are named. Like, like they're marketed. They're focus group. Like, they're, they're super... Like, the, like, I don't, like, I wonder who gets that job. Like, can any, like, writer just, like do ghostwriting for pharma and like come up with the names. And there's this Chuck Palahniuk novel called Survivor uh, where somebody um, is just, they just create all these names in advance and then they have pills that are just pill bottles full of sugar. Uh, and they're just like, so it's like they already have the copyright on whatever weird name you can come up with. I think that the types of names you have to come up with, uh, they have to be vague. They can't remind you of stuff. So I don't understand how like things like Abilify, how yeah. does that come onto the market? Because that, that, that reminds me of the word ability, you know? That, but, but the word Lescol or Crestor 
doesn't mean anything to me. Crestor makes me think of toothpaste. There's always like a lot of like X's and O's and they're all like vaguely Latin sounding. Like I, I really want to like, I would read a deep dive about how pharmaceuticals get named. Like, I don't know if that's been written, but that'd be a fun thing to like, to research and write and, and, and really unpack. And like also just like interview the, the writers who do, who, who do copy for, for pharma or who make these names. Like, is it scientists? Is it like, com, like comparative lit majors? Like, like who gets that job? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's marketing interns. <laughs> they just are playing boggle. <laughs> do they get royalties? Like if they come up with a good name and then that drugs is like a blockbuster billion dollar drug, do they get like royalties? Do they get a cut of that? Yeah. All right, so number 23 is kind of a big one. Let's do a little okay, this is it. 23, synthetic opioids. Now we have fentanyl. Actique, duragesic, something else, methadone. Common uses, pain relief. Well, we kind of already talked about opioids. These are, you know, the same thing. Uh, if you take too many opioids, what happens is... Um, the opioid receptors will release a protein called beta-arrestin-2, uh, and that will cause respiratory depression. Basically, you just stop breathing and you suffocate. Uh, yeah. Part of the, the part of the brain that says breathe um, stops saying breathe. And then uh, they, have, uh, they have drugs that can reverse that. Uh, naloxone is a drug that just kicks the opioids out of the receptor, and uh, so then your breathing will resume. Uh, it's a miracle. It's a fucking miracle. It is a fucking miracle. Um, and the fact that it that naloxone isn't everywhere, like this hotel I'm in, does not have naloxone. Did in you it. check? No, I mean I. So, just just want to be a boy scout here. I bring naloxone everywhere I go. Like I have it in my bag right now. So do I. You can take it on airplanes with you. I sent my bag right through carry on. And like, I don't even use opioids right now, and I have it. Like, it's just a good thing to have, and this drug is a miracle. It should be everywhere. It, I consider it to be like a fire extinguisher. Like, y you have a fire extinguisher in every room. You don't think a fire is going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I carry it with me because I just, I couldn't live with myself if I was on the bus, because I took a bus out here to Los Angeles, and somebody overdosed, and I didn't have something to save them. Like, that's... Yeah. It, it's, it literally is so simple to use. Um, yeah, uh, the one I, I have I, is a syringe. I have the nasal spray on me, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, your grandma can use it. And I've given naloxone to so many people, um, and sometimes they've told me they had to use it. Uh, one kid, um, he was using opioids. He overdosed. He collapsed on the floor. His grandpa was downstairs and heard a thump. Goes upstairs. And because I gave him naloxone, taught him how to use it, taught everybody what to do, he was able to be revived. I mean, that kid would be dead now. And then just like a couple weeks ago, there was this whole kerfuffle. A guy overdosed during a Delta flight. And in the Delta first aid kit, there's an EpiPen, there's defibrillators, there's bandages. Like there's... There's, there's aspirin. A lot of drugs on this list are in that kit, yeah. but not naloxone. Now yeah. it is. Now no. it is. Someone had to be carried off of a, of a plane in a fucking body bag until Delta changed their policy. And I know for a fact there are flight attendants and the FAA and, and, and people in government who have been putting this on the radar of, 
of airline companies over a year ago, well over a year ago. And it didn't, and Delta like didn't pay any fucking attention until the worst thing literally happened. So that's synthetic opioids. I think the most dangerous synthetic opioid that I know of, there probably is something more dangerous. I shouldn't say dangerous. I think the most potent opioid, carfentanil. Um, That is one that is used literally to tranquilize elephants. 10,000 times stronger than morphine. Yeah. I remember when I first like heard of carfentanil appearing on the street, like somebody said that they were like, this is on Reddit, so take it with a grain of salt. They were, you know, dressing up in all this um, biohazard gear and they mixed it into a huge gallon tank, like a small amount and put it in their fridge. And then they felt dizzy and had to lie down and they couldn't move. And then they, they basically overdosed, but didn't pass out. And they were like, I can't believe I survived. Like, this is this highly toxic chemical that like you can't even, you know, be in the same room as. And I'm pretty sure that's all bullshit. Uh, there are people that can use carfentanil. They can inject it into themselves and not die. Uh, it's it's I, probably not an opioid naive user, but... No way. So, like, I, I mean, look, like, I, I think that there's a problem in the supply when potent fentanyls like carfentanil are showing up in it. Like that to me is not uh, anything anyone is doing for kicks. I mean, maybe someone out there like has a taste for carfentanil and their tolerance is so high that that's the only one that, that gets them the relief that they're looking for. And that, that might be real, but I think that's very few and far between. And, and like one thing that I want to mention while we're on the subject of carfentanil is that um, like six months ago, the, the, the Times ran a piece about how uh, Dayton, Ohio saw like a really significant drop in, in overdoses over the last year. And basically they, the, the, the reporters listed off how you know law enforcement teamed up with with public health policy people and got naloxone out there and that expanded medicaid got people on buprenorphine and methadone and 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 basically a, a like some vital harm reduction infrastructure was built in ohio and it had a positive effect but there was one line in there that said basically that one another factor in why the overdose death rate dropped in this particular area of Ohio is that carfentanil disappeared. It left yeah. the supply, which is a totally uh, independent factor of any kind of uh, law enforcement public health partnership. It is a supply phenomenon, someone somewhere who was maybe putting carfentanil in the dope that made it to Ohio, probably saw the headlines that like 50 overdoses in a two day span and was like, oh shit, like this is a major problem. This isn't right. Cause dealers, like they don't want to kill their customers. That's bad business. And so this like totally random, um, basically impossible, factor carfentanil leaving is in my opinion probably what led to the biggest reduction in in overdose there and and like that to me is what um or that like that kind of supply phenomenon is uh puts us in a bind because 
like good luck finding the source of that carfentanil like it like a, a tiny vial of it can stretch the opioid supply for days like how are you going to find that like how are you going to find that in the mail or find that in a shipping container like carfentanil and these things are just like the end game for interdiction and like that's what dan chicaroni is always telling me and and it's just like uh, a totally scary thing that like someone somewhere out there is like dropping carfentanil that this thing that nobody wants and hopefully whoever was doing that learned not to do it because it just killed everybody yeah but bringing up carfentanil kind of underscores the whole bullshit of this list the whole purpose of it's not even on this list no it isn't which is a little strange but you know carfentanil can be used by some people and doesn't kill them like dangerous is really relative and it is like you said that you know carfentanil is it's like if you had cyanide in the heroin or something yeah it's a contaminant it's not something that people really want some people have ordered it online according to apocryphal stories on reddit but you know i also kind of want to talk about sue fentanyl um when that was uh it was just passed right fda passed yeah but it, and then and the media lost their shit over this oh like, yeah they were holy a- fuck. apoplectic the fda is uh approved a new fentanyl and what most people didn't realize is that sue fentanyl has been already approved since the 80s what they had the fda had approved was a new formulation I believe it was a, what's the word, sublingual. And, you know, we've talked about this many times on this show, that the opioid overdose crisis is not really being driven by prescription opioids. Right. No one's being prescribed carfentanil. <laughs> or sufentanil on the, on, the, on the street. and Right, like anesthesiologists give that to people. Like, they're not, people aren't taking that home with them. Right. So, like, one of my friends, she, like, my girlfriend's, one of her best friends, she's, like, finishing residency to be an anesthesiologist right now. And, you know, whenever we're talking, like, she knows I I write about drugs and I talk to her about what uh, sort of, like, what the rhetoric and the discourse around fentanyl is, how if you just start near it, you could die, or if you touch it, you could overdose. And she touches fentanyl every fucking day. It's like literally her job to make sure that people get fentanyl and that they don't die. Like that's her job and she does it probably really well. She's super smart. And when I tell her these things, she just like rolls her eyes and fucking laughs. And it's yeah. like, wait, why does everyone care that there's like a new fentanyl out? Like I'm going to use that. And it, you know, some patient might need that one and not another one. Like, like, why do people give a shit? It's weird because we're talking about the touching, the touching fentanyl myth. Uh, you know, there's lots of pills, lots of opioids, and no one's afraid of touching those. Oh God, yeah. I mean, lately even, like the the the, the news articles are like getting so, so paranoid. Like, the someone touched meth and got vaguely ill. Someone touched heroin and got vaguely ill. Like, it's, like, this has just got to stop. Like, I'm, like, it's the hill I'm dying on, and it's making me crazy. (laughs) Got to stop. You and Ryan Marino. (laughs) Yeah, Ryan Marino, if you're listening to this, thank you for being alive. Uh, You're 
for doing work, man. And for people who don't know, he's a toxicologist uh, who is gets banned, who gets blocked by like every medical, every like every medical reporter, like every local reporter, every any like medical institution. I think like the Cleveland Clinic even blocked him. He is constantly swatting away pseudoscience about vaccines and and paranoia about fentanyl and he's like universally loathed and that's why i love him yeah we need to have him on the show yeah. uh, so number 24 uh this is tmp slash smx it's an antibiotic we're not gonna really go into it but uh the risks are again hyperkalemia i just looked that up and it's uh, apparently um too much potassium in the blood which makes sense hyper too much ka potassium and lemia is in the blood so there you go. Don't take too much of this antibiotic. And don't yes. eat too much bananas. It's bad for you. Yeah. And number 25, the last Here we one. Here go. The last one, folks. Tobacco. Good old cigarettes. Uh, so the risks are lung disease, heart disease, cancer. It doesn't list True. emphysema. It doesn't list a lot of other things. Bad so breath. Smoking. Uh, I'm an ex-smoker. Smoke I'm currently a, a jeweler. Been drooling this whole episode. I, can, I can't do... if we're gonna get on the issue of tobacco we definitely have to talk about e-cigarettes um which you know e-cigarettes might come with some risks especially the additives um if you have certain flavors in the juice i mean uh for example like like vaporizing mango can't be good for you one note about tobacco like actual cigarettes five hundred thousand people die from it every single year and yet we do not call that an epidemic and this is like one thing that leo Boletsky has talked a lot about one thing that i've written a lot about is that the way that we call like what we call an epidemic or not is quite arbitrary and like to me like public health resources must be mobilized to treat um smoking related illnesses like infinitely more people are being harmed by tobacco than than by say opioids or carfentanil yeah and infinitely more people are harmed by tobacco than um e-cigarettes i mean we're still kind of i think we we just need more time for e-cigarettes we need like a 10-year yeah we need more research but but you know this kind of upsets the e-cigarette community which i can understand because uh, they don't, they, they want it to be seen as safe. Safe is a is a word you can't just throw out there, you know. Um, safer, but not safe. You know, you, you're not you're adding something into your body. It's gonna have an effect. With e-cigarettes, one of the things that you have to consider is the additives that are in them. For example, cherry flavor, which is benzaldehyde. You can eat as much benzaldehyde as you want. It's the cherry flavor in uh, Jolly Ranchers. Um, it's, you know, it's in cherries, it's in almonds, you eat it all the time, it's safe. But when you heat it up, benzaldehyde can break down into benzene, which has been proven to be cancerous, and you're inhaling this into your lungs. I mean, probably a lot better than smoking a cigarette and inhaling all that tar and other carcinogens, but it's not necessarily safe. San Francisco recently banned the sale of e-cigarettes. Like entirely. Entirely, which is just... I mean, they were like kind of invented. Wait, wait, wait. E-cigarettes or cigarettes? E-cigarettes. But not cigarettes. But not cigarettes. That's fucking ludicrous. It is fucking ludicrous. It's like, I mean, you could just drive over to Oakland. 
or oh whatever. You can order them online. You know, Why? It's, it's, it's not stopping people from being able to get these products. It's just made them a little less available. For what reason exactly? Like, was that like a Diane Feinstein, Nancy Pelosi joint? Like, who did that? I have no idea. <laughs> we could look it up, but uh, it seems pretty irresponsible. Like, yeah, that's that's really shitty. There is there is one thing that I should bring up because John's in the room and we, we did this documentary on e-waste. Um, you know, e-cigarettes are a big. Uh, contributor to e-waste um, the batteries in them are very difficult to recycle uh, people throw e-cigarettes away like they throw cigarettes away now first of all you shouldn't throw cigarettes on the ground as an ex-smoker i used to do that all the time but now i realize that kind of made me an asshole like if you're going to smoke a cigarette throw it in the trash can or or an ashtray don't just throw it on the ground it's just fucking stupid but people do that with these plastic devices that contain nicotine and these lithium ion batteries and literally like they're issuing guidelines forget the organization but they're listing the uh, guidelines for picking up this trash saying it's a hazardous material like you should wear gloves because you got to worry about the lithium ion battery it can explode that's a danger associated with this drug i guess that it has happened to people there's puffing on this thing and it gets too hot and it blows up in their face okay so so here's the rub on the e-cig ban so the Board of Supervisors voted unanimously to ban the sale. The ordinance was written by City Attorney Dennis Herrera. He said, quote, This is a decisive step to help prevent another generation of San Francisco children from becoming addicted to nicotine, he says. Okay, well, so what about the multiple generations of people who are just fucking dying from tobacco? So that's one thing. And then he goes on to say, this temporary moratorium, so I guess it's temporary, wouldn't be necessary if the federal government had done its job. He says, e-cigarettes are a product that, by law, are not allowed on the market without FDA review. For some reason, the FDA has so far refused to follow the letter of the law. If the federal government is not going to act, San Francisco will. So it's like... Okay, the FDA, they, you know, are very cozy with with corporations, very cozy with pharma. They by and large let pharma like regulate itself and just like just like the FAA, like like Boeing basically sets the regulation for Boeing. And so the FDA is is, is no different. And I guess what is at issue here with this San Francisco ban is that a quote epidemic see we decided to call this an epidemic of teenage nicotine use like a new generation of teenagers using um nicotine via e-cigarettes who you know probably a lot of them may may not have ever picked up smoking and so yes we need to like make sure that e-cigarettes are not uh being marketed to kids and that kids are not like totally stoked about e-cigarettes like yes that's true but to to ban them and so adults can't get off tobacco like that's wild that, yeah. that sounds like the trade-offs are <laughs> really really weighted in the negative here there's some research to suggest that if you start vaping you're going to probably start smoking actual cigarettes 
And that's what a lot of this hand-wringing about our children, our children is... So it's like the around. new gateway theory. It's the new gateway theory. and Which might be true, whatever. There is research to suggest it. I mean, I'm not going to th- throw that out, but um, that is... It's always about our kids, and it's like, what, what, if, what if they're doing just pure nicotine? Like, if it's not with these additives or whatever, like there's this kind of sentiment that I don't know that is nicotine on its own, like really dangerous. It's a, you know, a, it affects acetylcholine in the brain, but I don't know. Like, like, like nicotine gum, for instance, like I thought that's just like a safe way to get nicotine that doesn't cause cancer. Yeah. The cancer comes from the, inhaling the smoke and all the additives in cigarettes. So, at, so at the very end of, this list so again this alphabetized non-ranking of the 25 most dangerous drugs in no particular order but alphabetical for some reason there there is a methodology section uh you want to read this yeah to identify the 25 most dangerous drugs 24 7 wall street reviewed a variety of data and sources including injury and death statistics for illicit and controlled substances from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, also known as SAMHSA, deadly combinations of pharmaceutical drugs and other substances from Medscape and other sources, and deadly combinations of illicit and prescribed substances from DrugAbuse.com. Oh, DrugAbuse.com. That's a really good source, folks. (laughs) These combinations are selected due to their prevalence in society and the severity of their adverse effects. Items on this list are in no particular order. Well, thanks for putting that up front. Many of the drugs on this list are safe for the vast majority of users. Uh, The American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-5, serves as the most authoritative text on the classification of mental and substance use-related diseases. In the latest volume, the set of symptoms named substance abuse and substance dependence are now called substance use disorders. Okay, so real quick, drugabuse.com, uh, it is a like front page, basically marketing for the American Addiction Centers, the AAC. And so if you just Google American Addiction Centers, what comes up is like a litany of lawsuits against them for patients dying while under their care. <laughs> like this is like a ridiculous uh, addiction treatment corporation for profit that uh basically like bought up a bunch of nursing homes and like clinics and shit throughout the country and are so uh inept that they can't even properly stabilize withdrawal and so people die while they go to the american addiction centers uh so at the very end of the page it's drugabuse.com is operated by recovery brands llc a subsidiary of American Addiction Centers Incorporated. So way to go, USA Today. Just getting the, the right right to the source there. Yeah, they're so inept that they can't even scrub their search results. Yeah, I mean, I hope that's a, a typo and they meant drugabuse.gov, which, by the way, is NIDA. So so I, I guess the, the whole point of this episode is what is the most dangerous drug? This is a ranking that people want to Obviously, whatever there. drug starts with the letter A exactly oh god Uh, if you're still with us thanks for listening this has been narcotica goes to hollywood edition i would probably say that alcohol probably the most dangerous drug just 
for the amount of complications it can create. Um, yeah. I mean, literally, like, if you want to go to carfentanil or something that's even more potent than that, or, like, arsenic. Right, like, it's just a different dimension of harm. Like, the acute toxicity, like, the acute uh, sort of therapeutic dose versus lethal dose. So, like, there's, like, basically a formula to determine like what the therapeutic dose is, what the lethal dose is, and like any drug where the therapeutic dose is very close to the lethal dose, which is basically any opioid, that's, that's, a, that's a harm. That's like a measurable uh, uh, objective harm. And, 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 and that makes a lot of sense to me. So that's like a very specific harm. And I think what takeaway here is we look at societal harm, structural harms, and things that don't just happen to um, like the end user, but you know, what's their life like? What's the relationship with their partners and loved ones and family like? And what's the effects on the community? And and like this is where we begin to measure what um, what what harms are. Yeah, the, really, the crux of this episode is in Latin, solo dosis facit venenum. I'm probably saying that really terribly, but the dose makes the poison. Um, you know, it's really a matter of the circumstances of what you're taking a drug that makes it dangerous and not the drug itself. Uh, human beings really love to personify these chemicals. We need to, they like to pretend that, uh, they have personalities and behaviors and that meth is evil. And if you take it, that it's going to somehow possess you. Yeah. And that fentanyl will jump out of a bag and bite cops like that's definitely a thing. Or the poor police dogs. Yeah. Oh, the police dogs. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's a good place to wrap up. Uh, the first in-person Narcotica episode, Chris could not make it. He is doing crap in Kensington. He's in Philly. Um, Chris, wherever you are, one day, uh, the three of us will be in the same room. Yeah, maybe when we go to St. Louis this fall. Oh, yeah, at the Drug Policy Alliance Conference. Right, which I guess we should start plugging now because I guess we're going to be a media sponsor for them. Go to the Drug Policy Alliance Conference in St. Louis. Do it. November 6th. We'll be there. We can give you a sticker. Go to their website to find the dates. Yeah. Yeah, we'll give you a lot of stickers. Okay. Thanks for listening. Yeah, if you have any questions about us, again, this is not medical advice. Uh... (laughs) We might be wrong about some of this stuff. I hope not. I think we've been covering think, this stuff. I enough. think we we hedged. We we said that drugs are allegedly dangerous, so drugs don't come back and sue us. Allegedly. Yeah. Okay. Be safe out there. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Narcotica. Narcotica is an independent production by Christopher Morath, Zachary Siegel, and myself, Troy Thera. Our co-producer is Aaron Ferguson, and our theme music is by Glassboy. You can follow us on Twitter at Narcocast or on Narcocast.com. If you like the program and you want to support us, there are a few ways you can help. Tell a friend about us. Most podcasts become popular via word of mouth, or give us a decent rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Second, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash Narcotica where you'll get access to exclusive bonus content and help us pay our bills a little bit. We are so grateful for the people that make this program possible. We want to stay ad-free, and you guys help us do that. Thank you so much. If you want to send us a suggestion, 
tell us about using DXM to time travel or just want to say hi, you can email us at tips at narcocast.com. That's all for now. Take care.